William Baptist Church. It's, it's a wonderful pleasure to be here today. Um, Fort William is a church very dear to my heart, and many of my dearest friends attend and call this wonderful church home. And so the moment Brad asked me if I'd be willing to come and preach here, I was very excited and had this day marked on my calendar. I don't use a real calendar, but in my head, I was just waiting for this, this day, May 28th. And I bring greetings from a far, far, far away distant land of Murillo Community Baptist. And so greetings from there. If you ever have time for a big road trip, you can come out to Murillo. But um, you can open your Bibles to the text we're going to study today. Um, and before we go into it, I'm going to ask you a few questions. But we're going to be in the book of Colossians in the first chapter. And we'll be reading a little bit more than we're actually going to be studying through. But you can turn there while I ask you a few short questions this morning. And so my first question to you, Christian, is do you need prayer this morning? And if so, for what? The second question is do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you truly believe that prayer is powerful and it works? Do you long to grow in your understanding of God and his will? Does your life bear good fruit? Do you feel, perhaps on a more solemn note, do you feel weak this morning? Are you dealing with trials and sufferings and temptations? Do you feel empty and weak this morning? Well, today we're going to look at a, a, a prayer that Paul has for the church in Colossae that is for you and I today, and it's a prayer for all of these things. It's a prayer for hope. It's a prayer that is rooted in the gospel, and today, nearly 2,000 years later, is a prayer for you and I. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to read it, we're going to study it, and finally, at the end of the message, we're going to pray this prayer together. How does that sound? Sounds awesome? I'm glad we've got one enthusiastic church member today. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be reading from verses 9 to 14. That's what we'll be studying, but I'm going to actually start reading from verse 13, even though we're not going to be studying that section there. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. As it is also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And here's the text we'll be studying. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have the redemption, forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day that we can celebrate together and sing your praises as a body of believers that are united in our one Lord, our one Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that as we study your word today, that 
Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts to see what your word has. Lord, would you open our eyes to see what this text is teaching us? Would you open our ears to hear the good news and the gospel that is here? And Lord, would you uh, guard my words as I study through your word? I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be holy and acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. So Lord, would you bless this message as we get to study your wonderful, beautiful, life-giving word today. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So, before we go uh, verse by verse through this, a few key contextual points that will be important before we kind of start unpacking this verse by verse. So, these five or so verses from 9 to 14 kind of seem to jump all over the place, like from here to here to here to here to here, and it seems like it's being built as this uh, sort of Uh, one point on top of the next, but it's actually one long uh, run-on sentence. And so every single point in this prayer is actually pointing back to one key thing. Uh, The first thing that they all relate to is, what does it mean to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? And so anything in this prayer has to do, what does it mean to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? The second is, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? So Anywhere you look in this prayer, that's a part of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the third is, how is this possible? How can we be filled with the knowledge of God's will? And how can we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? And that is because God has qualified, saved, redeemed, and forgiven you and I. And so everything in these short verses is related to those three things, being filled with the knowledge of God's word, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, and our ability to live out that because of what God has done for us in the gospel. And so this church in Colossae was planted by Epaphras, as we read before, the beloved servant in in Christ, as we read in verse earlier somewhere. Uh, And so Paul actually doesn't know this church as well as he knows other churches he's uh, often writing to in the New Testament. And yet, when we read this prayer, his love for them is really, really deep, because they are his fellow brothers and sisters united with him in the body of Christ. And so right away, that just makes you realize how deeply united the body of Christ is and how united we are that Paul barely knew them and he never ceases to pray for them. And it also kind of makes us ask ourselves, well, do I never cease to pray for the people I know well? Paul's praying for these believers he doesn't know well, and do I have that same posture of never ceasing to pray for my closest brothers and sisters? Uh, And then the last piece of a little bit of context here is that we don't entirely know what false teachers were saying in Colossae at this time, uh, except there were false teachers, as there seemed to be everywhere. And, uh, but it is pretty safe to say from the cultural context that these false teachers claimed to have some kind of knowledge and wisdom in their worldly philosophies and religions. And so this entire book of Colossians is written to combat this empty knowledge and wisdom throughout this entire letter and everything about Colossians is pointing that all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. And so Paul's whole letter is uh, reject this empty knowledge, counterfeit truth, and look to Christ who is the source of wisdom and knowledge. And so what is amazing though is that though this whole book is a response to this sort of false teaching about knowledge and wisdom, what's really wonderful about this prayer is that Paul doesn't pray this to combat that necessarily. If you read those verses before, um, Paul says that from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And so what did Paul hear to make him never cease to pray for them? It says, since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love that you have for all saints. And so 
the reason why Paul prays for them is not just this combating empty knowledge and empty wisdom. It's because, hey, I heard you guys have faith in Christ. Now I'm going to pray that you walk in a manner worthy of him. And so that makes it pretty safe to say that this prayer is for you and I today. This is for the universal Christian. This is for the Christian 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, today, 500 years from now. You and I can look at this prayer and pray it for ourselves and pray it over other believers. This is a prayer for you and I. And so, um, yeah, so there's just a few things that we're going to take away from this first verse. So verse 9, as we said at the beginning, it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray from you, pray for you. So the first thing we take from that is that this prayer is for all believers, and we should never cease to pray. But the second thing that this first verse tells us before we even see what Paul prays for is that prayer is powerful and prayer works. The very first thing Paul does when he hears of their faith is he goes to the Lord in prayer and never ceases to pray. This isn't some vain, empty ritual. Rather, it's Paul's initial thing that he leans on when he hears about their faith. And so I have a few questions for you in regard to that to look at ourselves. Do you have faith in the power of prayer that it works? Do you ever find yourself doubting the power of prayer? I can't help but feel that sometimes in the church, prayer can be discounted. Have you ever heard someone say, ah, all we can do now is pray? Have you ever heard that before? I have, I have no doubt that that is said in good intentions. I get it. Okay, we're going to do everything we can to help this situation that we're praying for, but there's nothing I can do anymore, so all we can do is pray. No, it is not all we can do is pray. We serve and pray to the one true living God who is in control of all things, and his powerful prayer works. And so, like, I want to be clear that it's true that we need to act when we pray for things. So if I'm sick and I'm praying uh, over that, I need to go and see a doctor. If I'm praying for my lost brother or sister, I should witness to them. If I'm praying for the strength to fight uh, sin and read my Bible, then I need to put my boots on and do those things. We certainly need to act when we pray. But the point here is that nothing we ever do should be done without prayer. And so everything we should go to our great God and Savior in prayer, knowing that prayer works and it is powerful. That leads us to a quick question that you may ask and say, well, is God not sovereign? Is God not in control of all things? Do we really move God's hand? Do we change God's mind? Are we the ones who make God do things? And I would say the answer to that is really quite simple. God is not only in control and sovereign over the outcome of things, but he's also sovereign in the means of them coming to pass. And so a beautiful thing for you, Christian, and for me to reflect on today is that the prayers of God's peoples are one of the ways through which he works his will, that God accomplishes his good and sovereign will through the prayers of you and I. That is amazing to think about. He works his will through your prayers, through my prayers, because prayer is powerful and it works. And so may we have the same faith as Paul and never cease to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, never cease to make our requests be made known to him, and never cease believing that God hears and answers our prayers. Amen? And so now that we establish the power of prayer, we get to go into what does Paul pray for? Because there's many things we can pray for, but uh, what does Paul specifically pray for believers here? And so the very first thing Paul prays in verse 9 he prays that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us here would be 
filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Amen. So knowledge and wisdom were promised by the philosophies and religions of this first century Greco-Roman world in Colossae, but that's not a uniquely Colossian thing, is it? Those same very things of having wisdom and knowledge and the answers to everything are still promised by the philosophies and religions of today. Uh, we see it in politics, we see it in modern philosophy, we see it in science, we see it in modern religions. In all of these things, the core of these worldviews is the same empty promise, knowledge and understanding. The world loves to promise knowledge, the world loves to promise understanding, but at their best, they're cheap counterfeits of the truth that is found in Christ. So today you have different ways that that manifests, different uh, common thoughts in the political, cultural, philosophical worlds, uh, but you tend to have two different camps. You have this one side just saying, hey, we can solve everything with scientific method and reason, and the other side is just saying, hey, all truth is subjective. No one can really know what's true, and so you kind of have these two things at odds with each other, but those are two sort of promises of knowledge and understanding, sort of worldview systems of knowledge that exist in the world today. Uh, and neither of these are entirely true. I, I think there's aspects of truth to both of them, but we as Christians believe and affirm that truth is not subjective, and we believe that truth is not fully, fully, fully comprehensible because truth has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so for the Christian like you and I, when we say truth, we look to Christ, our solid rock, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's what we believe and affirm as Christians, and that's what Paul prays the Christians would be rooted in. They would be rooted in Christ as their source of wisdom and understanding. He prays for true knowledge, for true understanding. And this true knowledge and understanding can only come from God through the Holy Spirit found in Jesus Christ. True knowledge is only found in Christ. And so the question is, well, what is this knowledge that Paul is talking about? So knowledge is found in Christ. What does that mean for you and I? And I don't think here that Paul is talking about individual situations like, Lord, I pray that you'd help me have all the spiritual wisdom and understanding to know if I should go to Applebee's or Montana's after church today. That's, that's not quite the, uh, the thing. I don't know if I should go and live in a far, far, far away land like Murillo. That's not quite the, the question that he's talking about here. Uh, but rather, he's talking that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will as it is revealed in Jesus Christ. And then everything that follows from a life of devotion to that. Because when your heart is open to the gospel and you understand the truth found in Jesus Christ, your entire life changes. And you no longer need to search endlessly and tirelessly for truth in the world. And so we have to be very careful. This is not to say that there is no truth in the world. This doesn't mean that we don't believe that other worldviews or things have aspects of truth in them. We believe in science because God created science. He created the universe we study. Uh, we believe in math because God created logic and numbers. We believe that politicians, philosophies, and even other religions can sometimes have some aspects of truth and be correct on certain things, uh, some more than others, obviously. But none of those things can bring you to the fullness of truth that is only found in Jesus Christ alone. None of those things can bring you to repentance unto life. And without Christ as the lens by which we interpret all these other truth claims the world has, uh, we will be tossed to and fro by every empty philosophy and promise of knowledge. And so everything we look at, we look through the lens of Christ and Christ alone. And uh, 
how God has revealed himself through Christ in his written word. So to be submitted to God's revelation in Christ means that all of our life is held captive to the truth that is only found in him. And so what are some of these truths that hold us captive? A really good place to go would be the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Some various creeds are just searched through scripture, but a few things that uh, kind of shape and change the way we look at everything. So a core truth here is that God is creator of all things. God is the one true living God, king over all. God sent his son to reconcile all things, including you and I, to himself through Christ's precious blood. Uh, God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ and has written authoritative word that we're studying today. Uh, Christ is coming again to judge the world in righteousness. Those are some of the core truths that we interpret and look at every single other system through. And so this is true spiritual knowledge, to submit ourselves to God's revelation in Jesus Christ and his written word. That's what knowledge is, to be rooted in Christ. But if that's what knowledge is, is to look to Christ and not the other ways in the world and kind of grow in our knowledge of his will and his revelation and the word of God, then what is true spiritual wisdom? Why does Paul ask for knowledge and wisdom? Well, it's not simply enough that we know the truth. But to be wise, to have true spiritual wisdom, is to uh, actually let that truth come and transform our lives. Which leads us to verse 10, which says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let's quickly pray that for ourselves too before we move on. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us here to walk in a manner worthy of you, that we would walk in a way that is fully pleasing to you, that we would bear fruit in every good work and increase in our knowledge of you. Amen. And so the true test of real religion is in its ability to transform your life life, and not just your thoughts. To not simply just know the truth about God, but to actually walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to bear good fruit, and to continue to grow in our knowledge of him, to know him more and more. And so your knowledge in Christ, your belief in these core truths, means nothing if it doesn't produce action. Oh, you believe God is one? James says, great, so do the demons. That's a very comforting verse, is it not? So what good is it to know that Jesus is the Messiah, resurrected in power overall, if we don't put our trust in him and repent unto life? So Paul is saying, you've grown in the knowledge of God's will, you've you've grown in the knowledge of his wisdom, so now walk in a manner worthy of him. And some translations there say, live in a manner worthy of the Lord, which is a little bit easier for us to understand, but if we talk a little bit about this word walk, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and... uh, Walk is a very common Jewish idiom from that time where you have these two different paths that are set as divergent ways of life. And uh, we see this all through scripture. We see in the Sermon on the Mount, the path that leads to life and the road that leads to destruction. We, we see this. It's a Jewish idiom of uh, which way are you going to go? The path is set before you today. And again, this path is not a simple decision like, am I going to go to Applebee's or am I going to go to Montana's? It's not that kind of question. It's when you choose this path, everything in your life is in accordance with that path. Everything you do, how you live, the way you think, anything you do is transformed by the way you walk. And so Paul is placing these two things against each other. He's putting a path 
that is pleasing to the Lord, walking in a manner worthy to him, up and against this path that is just vanity and foolishness, that is following and chasing the empty false truths and promises of the world. The truth is that true eternal wisdom is found in Jesus Christ, and this changes our life to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, where everything about our life after that divergent change uh, changes. Everything that follows is different, and everything will look different because this is the path we've chosen, and we're going to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. You have been redeemed by God, and now enter this path of life. One guardrail we need to put up when talking about walking in a manner worthy of him and bearing good fruits is just to remember that we have been redeemed by God, that we have been justified and saved by grace alone through faith alone. Nothing we ever do on this path can save us anymore. Nothing we ever do is going to actually put us in a better state before God, but we, it is finished, the blood of Jesus, we have been justified, and so this path is now, okay, now you've been saved by Christ, so walk in a manner worthy of that. So we're not trying to save ourselves here, friends, we are simply walking in accordance with the truth that we have been saved, and so now we're going to live differently. And one word here in verse 10 that I just think is incredibly comforting this morning when talking about sin, when talking about the gospel, uh, one important aspect that we need to talk about is how we are enemies of God, how we fall short of his uh, glory, that we have all fallen short and that we need a savior. And these are all core gospel truths. This is the gospel message. But one really comforting thing when we read this is that when we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord by God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us, it actually pleases the Father. So take comfort in that this morning, that when you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, when you bear good fruit in your life, that it pleases God. And so this walking in a manner worthy of the Lord that pleases God is not just uh, bearing, uh, is more than just bearing good fruit and good works. It also is actually the rest of these verses that follow. And so let's read verse 11 now and see what else it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord apart from doing good works and bearing good fruits. Verse 11 says that it is being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So let's quickly pray that over ourselves as well. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, each and every one of us in the room, with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Amen. Do you need strength this morning? Do you feel like you lack endurance and patience? This word all here in verse 11, this word in the Greek is a word of completeness, explaining that this power that God strengthens us with is complete. Another way to read this, that we would be strengthened with all of his might, is that we would be strengthened by God with all the power necessary, all the power imaginable, unlimited power, complete power to the highest degree for all endurance and patience with joy. God's power is greater than whatever you need to be strengthened for this morning. And so what we have here in verse 11 is a core truth that is integral to the gospel. And that is that what God provides, I'm sorry, what God demands from us, he himself provides. 
Just think about that. What God demands from you and I, he is the one who provides it. This is seen all through scripture, but most clearly seen in the cross. God demands perfection. Be perfect as your father is perfect. Be holy as your, uh, for the Lord is holy. God demands perfection. We can't complete that. He provides Christ, the perfect atoning sacrifice, the perfect son of God. We see it in other parts. He demands the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. Again, he provides Christ and his blood. So here, what God demands of us is that we turn from the ways of the world, that we turn from all the temptations of this world, and that we endure them and we be patient in them, all the while knowing that God is the one who strengthens you and I to do so. And so are you weak today? Are you broken today? My question is, how will you respond to your brokenness? Will you go to alcohol? Will you go to pornography? Will you go to gambling? Will you go to an unhealthy relationship? Will you go to any other distraction or crutch in this world? Or will you turn to God to strengthen you to endure? God gives strength to those who need to endure the temptations of the world. And so pray for that strength. God's strength is more than enough for what you need to endure. Furthermore, beyond just the temptation to sin or find relief or crutches in the world, are you suffering today? Well, God will grant you the strength to be patient in your suffering. He's not promising that your suffering will be resolved quickly, and he's not uh, promising that it will be gone in an instant, but he is promising, however, that in your deepest suffering, he is working in, around, and through that. He is with you, and he will strengthen you. Be certain that your deepest suffering, brothers and sisters, God is working for your good, as it says in Romans 8, the God who works all things for the good of those who love him. And you can actually take that on in joy, as it says here, being patient and enduring with joy. We see this also, Paul, in Romans 5, when it says we rejoice in our sufferings. We don't just take them on valiantly. We rejoice in them. How do we find joy in our suffering? Because according to Romans 5, suffering produces endurance, which produces character, which produces greater hope and that hope will not put us to shame. And so we aren't bitterly patient as we deal with sufferings and temptations. We are actually joyfully patient, whether it's our fight against sin, whether it's our struggle with suffering, whether it's our dealings with a difficult spouse, a friend, a sibling, a parent, a child, we take it on with joy, knowing that God is working in it, not around it, but in and through it. Hear the words of the great Puritan uh, pastor, Samuel Rutherford. He's writing to, he's in prison, and he's writing to a woman in his church who her husband has passed away, and now she is incredibly sick, deathly sick. And he says these words, a little bit of old English, so bear with me. I'll try to translate it a little bit. Not just old English, old Scottish English. That's even worse. Um, Madam, when you are to come to the other side of the water and have set down your foot on the shore of glorious eternity, and you look back again to the waters and at your wearisome journey, you shall then be forced to say, if God had done otherwise with me than he hath done, I had never come to enjoying of this crown and glory. Whether God come to his children with a rod or a crown, if he himself come with it, it is well. And sure I am that it is better to be sick, providing that Christ come to the bedside and say, take courage, I am thy salvation, than it is to enjoy health, being strong and never having been visited by God. 
God has a plan in your suffering and in your temptation to sin, in your difficult season of marriage, in your sickness, in whatever it may be, and he will give you the strength to endure and be patient with joy. It is better to have Christ come with a rod than to be healthy without Christ. And so let that be our prayer. And let it, that joy lead us to thanking God in every season, in the highs and the lows, which is exactly where Paul goes in these next verses, in verses 12 to 14. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray that together again. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Lord, we thank you, thank you, that you have delivered us from the domain of darkness and that you have transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Amen. So this last verse is here, the final thing that characterizes what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and that is joyously thanking God. Uh, in this verse, it's a little bit difficult to know if this word joy is meant to be at the end of verse 11 or the beginning of verse 12. So you could either read it as uh, that we would have all endurance and patience with joy or that we would have all endurance and patience joyfully thanking God. Uh, it's a little bit difficult to know which one it is, but the good news for us when we look at the rest of Scripture is that both are true. We know from the rest of Scripture that we can go uh, be patient and endure through anything life brings with joy. Yes and Amen. We also know that we should joyously thank God. And so they're both true. And so I'm going to choose to read this as joyously thanking the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. And so this shows that thanking God joyfully is an integral part of walking in a manner worthy of him. It's bearing good fruit, it's growing in our knowledge and understanding of him, it's being endur uh, growing in endurance and patience, but the fourth important thing here is that we thank God every step of the way. And so what does Paul thank God for in this prayer? Well, he thanks God for the very thing that enables us to pray any of this. The only reason we're able to pray any of those things he prayed before is the gospel itself. What is the rooting of this entire prayer? Why are we able to pray for growth and spiritual understanding? Why are we able to pray that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Why are we able to pray to God and ask him for strength? Because the Father has qualified us to share in an inheritance. Because he has delivered you and I from a domain of darkness. Because he has transferred us into his son's kingdom. Because in Christ we have redemption. Church, this is the gospel message, and this is why we can pray for all of these things, because he has qualified us. This word qualified, he qualified us, is a very, very, very similar connotation to justified. It means that God has given believers, those who trust in him, a special status before him that is complete. There is nothing more that they can do. They are completely qualified by him and him alone. God has given you, Christian, a special status, and there is nothing you can do to further qualify yourself. But what are we qualified for, according to this verse? An inheritance. 
The same way the Israelites were promised an inheritance in the promised land, we are promised an inheritance in the future eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. And this is because he has transferred us from the domain of darkness. And again, this term transfer is used for entire groups of people. And so this text, once again, is alluding to when he transferred the Israelites out of Egypt, except this time he has transferred an entire people, his church, you and I, out of the dominion of darkness. Out of a kingdom without hope, out of a kingdom searching for false truths, false religious acts, uh, out of a kingdom with no ability to endure temptation, out of a kingdom where we have no way to decipher spiritual truth, all these things of the world, the elemental spirits of the world, the worldly philosophies, the inner desire to work ourselves to salvation, and so much more, he has transferred us out of this by the blood of Jesus, our Savior. And so that is why we give thanks to God for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which frees us from searching endlessly for truth in the world, and which enables us to live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him. And this giving thanks rounds out the four things, that we would bear good fruit, that we would increase in our knowledge of God, that we would be strengthened by God, and that we would give him thanks. This is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. These are the things that characterize those who have been transferred into his kingdom. They bear fruit, they know God, they endure, they are patient, and they thank God all along the way. While those in the dominion of darkness do not do that, they bear no fruit, they hate God, they endure not temptation, and they do not thank God. And so the path is set before you and I today. The two ways, are we going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, where we long to know God, to be strengthened by him, to bear fruit, to walk in a manner worthy of him, or will we take the path that rejects all of those good things? That is the path set before you and I today. And so to the Christian here who has already put their faith in in Christ and pleaded the blood of Jesus. This text calls you and I to hold fast to the gospel by which we were saved. It calls us to pray earnestly that we would seek to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that we would be rooted in our knowledge and in the truths revealed in Scripture. That we would pray before the Lord for strength through all sufferings, all trials, all temptations, and never cease to thank God, the one who has qualified you and transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to light, redeemed you. This text is calling you to pray those things and seek for those things. And to maybe the person here today who is listening has not devoted their life to Christ, has not called upon his name for the forgiveness of your sins, this text, as well as I today, urge you to call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. This text is a prayer for believers in Christ to be strengthened by God's might and to walk in a way that pleases to him. And if you want that today, if you feel weak, if you are dealing with immense suffering, if you are searching endlessly for truth, come to Christ and find rest. Come to the one in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But know that this coming to Christ comes with a cost. God is calling you to repent and believe the good news We all have walked on our own path, in our own sin, and God is saying, stop, turn around, and follow him. 
We all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But as we learn today, what God demands, he himself provides. And God demands perfection as he is perfect, and none of us could ever attain that. He provided his one and only perfect son to bear the punishment for our sin that we deserve so that if we confess our sins and trust his finished work on the cross, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Call upon the name of the Lord today, and he will cleanse you and wash you of all unrighteousness. Call upon his name today and come and find life and life abundant. Colossians chapter one is a prayer for you and I, and so I'd like to close by praying that together. How does that sound? So let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be gathered here together and just study your rich word filled with truths. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know you, that we would know your will, that we would grow in our spiritual knowledge and understanding of your will. Lord, teach us and help us and give us the strength to walk in a manner worthy of you. Lord, would our lives bear good fruit and good works? Lord, everywhere we go, would we walk this straight path bearing good things? Would you strengthen us to do so? And Lord, as we endure temptations, as we endure sufferings and trials in this life, would you be the one to strengthen us according to all of your glorious might? Lord, we thank you for qualifying us for this inheritance that this text speaks about. We thank you for the shedding of your son's blood, Jesus, on the cross. We thank you for the gospel in which we stand and hold fast to, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And as we call upon your name, we will be saved. And so we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of the earth. He is Lord of this church and he is Lord of our lives. You are the one true Lord of all. So Lord, give us the strength to do these things. And thank you once again for the precious blood of Jesus. It's in the name of your son we pray.